season may be over for all three Canadian teams, but there has been no shortage of talking points in Canadian soccer over the last couple of weeks. We will do our best to cover a big chunk of them here today on the Footy Talks podcast. My name is Mitchell Tierney. I'll be your host as we look at those MLS Cup playoffs without the Canadian teams. A few bits and pieces on Toronto FC and the Vancouver Whitecaps, the Canadian U20 side, and even a new soccer team right here in the Toronto area. To dig through this grab bag of topics with me, it's James Garossi. James, good to have you back. Oh, Mitchell, it's my pleasure, man. Uh, I'm sure we'll we'll hit up a wide range of sort of the ongoings during this sort of slow off season part of the year, but uh, it should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, well, we have a lot of playoffs to talk about, even if uh, we haven't been uh, directly involved in them in the way we have been in the past couple of years. Um, the the MLS Cup playoffs, of course, are well and truly alive. Uh, eight teams remaining in the conference semifinals. Uh, we'll take a look around the league uh, at all of those series. But uh, let's start in Atlanta, where uh, United's they're preparing for the second leg um, against NYCFC in that two-leg Eastern Conference semifinal. And uh, it wasn't a great end of the season for Atlanta United. Obviously, they uh, had some injury problems. Um, they've they obviously got dominated by Toronto FC uh, on the final day of the season, which cost them the supporters' shield after uh, a year where it really looked like they were the the leaders the entire way through. But um, they do get that first ever playoff win, and, uh, and not bad for a franchise that's two years old. And now they uh, have a big upper hand in my mind on New York City FC heading into uh, that second leg at home. Yeah, definitely. I think I think before we dig into this match, my, my first sort of general point about the playoffs in general, and this first match is a, is a great example of that, is just the ramping up of the intensity that we've seen in these games. Mm-hmm. You know, Sometimes during that, uh, what everyone calls the summer grind in MLS, the games can really sort of slow down and, and not feel all that important. But, uh, you know, these these the knockout round in this first leg, uh, these ties in the first leg here have been uh, some fantastic soccer to watch, so it's been a lot of fun. And you know, this game, this this NYCFC Atlanta game was just an ugly, ugly game for two teams that have sort of, you know, they're both physical teams. Nobody's nobody's afraid of mixing it up a little bit, but for two teams that sort of fancy themselves as as playing the more beautiful side of the game, this was just a slugfest. I mean, the number of fouls in the first half alone was just stunning and. You know, perhaps fittingly, the the match was decided by a bit of an ugly goal at the back post there by a defensive midfielder. You know, yeah, for sure. Uh, it's it, it kind of happens every year. We we see this. Obviously, we saw this with Toronto FC last year that. You have to play ugly to win playoff games, even if you're, you know, you want to play that beautiful football. And Toronto FC was was able to do that in the MLS Cup final. But uh, even with their record season last year, they had to really fight through and and grind through it in an ugly way to get through those playoffs. And it looks like Atlanta United's learning that. Um, kind of building off that Toronto FC run last year, obviously the record uh, season set by them was 69 points that was broken uh, by New York City F- or by New York Red Bulls, um, and you know they, they won the Supporters Shield as well. But they're they're coming to learn how difficult it is in in these MLS Cup playoffs as well, and um, you know they they really have to to put up if they want to kind of build on that best ever um, kind of reputation. And uh, they're, they're down one nil to the Columbus crew. Uh, so it, it looks like the, the curse of Metro continues to, 
to uh, affect itself in in these this year's MLS Cup playoffs, doesn't it? Yeah, you know that that need to play gritty. You know, uh, after the Atlanta game, I actually talked to to their head coach Tata Martino and Brad Guzan and Michael Parkhurst, and I tried to get them to sort of dig into to what's different about this time of year. What is it about this this time of the season that you just sort of have to to dig down and find, you know, a, a different way of playing the game. And, and I think that loss to Toronto was, was a bit of a reminder to Atlanta. And, and you know, they had also recently lost on the road to Red Bull and, and they had lost away to DC. And, and this was just sort of the, the kind of thing that maybe it spurred them onto this. I'm sure they would have really wanted to, uh, to go on and, and set that new record and, and uh, win the supporter shield. But, you know, Toronto was able to deny them and Red Bull, you know, as a, for a team that sort of played that gritty, hard-nosed style all throughout the season, for them to not be able to get it done in that first leg against Columbus was was a bit of a strange one. Uh, you know, Zach Steffen comes up huge with a couple of saves, does does what he does after uh, having having a role in the penalty kick shootout that saw Columbus get through the knockout round, and that big save on on Bradley Wright Phillips and him rushing off his line to prevent Daniel Royer from getting onto that ball were sort of. Uh, you know, key moments in this match and resting Higuain, deciding to bring him on in the second half, and that that deft little flick of his that mm-hmm. played into the path of Zarda is uh, New York has sort of found themselves in a in a bit of a tricky spot here. Columbus, uh, this season has been so strange for Columbus all throughout the year. When we were sort of wondering if Toronto would have enough to to get into the playoffs, I was sort of tracking, you know, plus minus and goals for because I thought that was something that might sort of come in, and and I'm not one to dig too much into into the more fancy stats than those ones. And it always sort of struck me that Columbus was only averaging about a goal per game, a little bit more than that. And that's just, you're sort of playing with fire when you're doing that. And for them to take this lead at home against New York and, and sort of take that into, into Red Bull Arena this weekend where, you know, I think everyone sort of goes into this playoffs expecting New York to sort of be the team to beat, especially coming out of the Eastern Conference. And Columbus has sort of had this Cinderella season where, you know, there was the whole save the crew thing. There's the whole if Burhalls are going to leave. There's there's so much going on there. And sometimes in the playoffs, you know, you need that little bit of narrative. And you can't help but think that if, if New York is a little too one-dimensional, does that come up to bite them against a team that just seems to find a way of, of grinding out these results almost as well as Red Bull themselves do? Yeah, it has been such an interesting season for the Columbus crew. And, you know, almost in the sense that they came into last year's playoffs as easily the hottest team in MLS. They, they've they really caused Toronto FC a lot of issues in that Eastern Conference uh, final. They very well could have been a finalist last year. Obviously, they, they get their team saved this year, but then they uh, almost miss out on the MLS playoffs and come into this year's playoffs as one of the colder teams. But um, then once again, an, another big uh, penalty shootout win in, in the play-in game, and now they're up 1-0 again on, on the, the Red Bulls. Um, they just seem to be one of those teams, uh, as you said, that just know how to win uh, in these MLS Cup playoffs. Uh, so, you know, just uh, just incredible stuff from them the way this season has gone. And, um, you know, it would be a bit of a better Cinderella story if we if we didn't know yet that the team uh, would be back for next season. But um, I'm pretty sure uh, nobody there is complaining too much that um, that's not the fact. Uh, looking to to the Western Conference now, uh, quickly, um, another team who's on a, a bit of a Cinderella run, considering 
Um, the, the way they ended their season is Real Salt Lake. Obviously, they went into decision day having already played their last game of the season. Um, the the LA Galaxy, all they needed to do was was win in that final game of the season to uh, eliminate Real Salt Lake from the playoffs. They had that disaster after after going up early, and Real Salt Lake sneaks in um, and then has an incredible win over LAFC. Uh, that kind of scissor kick goal that they scored is is still one of the most incredible ones that I've seen in, in these playoffs so far. And um, they were able to pick up that draw against uh, Sporting KC. Of course, Sporting KC has the advantage on away goals, but um, they seem to be another team that uh, are, are kind of turning things on at the right time of year, even though, um, as per usual, we're used to kind of the hot teams being the ones to watch in, in the MLS Cup playoffs. But uh, this year, it seems like some teams have been able to to flip the switch a little bit going into um, these playoff rounds. Yeah, let me just start out by saying the more Mike Petke we get throughout these playoffs, the better his <laughs> uh, the sort of controversy over whether he was actually watching that decision day match or just having a barbecue was sort of a a good start for the the wild and crazy antics that we see this time of year. You know the uh, the crane kick from Krylak in in the knockout round was just absolutely stunning stuff, and you know Salt Lake pretty much followed it up with the goal they scored against against Sporting Kansas City was almost as lovely. You know, a, a deft little one-two, Bruce Nack sort of hitting a hitting a, a lovely finish on a on a half volley from from Krylak there, and you know that was probably the bright spot of what was a, a pretty monotonous and terrible game and. It was kind of a shame that that a, a keeper that's as experienced as Nick Ramondo and has done as much for his team and for for this league as he has was sort of culpable on on Kansas City's equalizer there, just sort of a you know getting a little burned, playing a little loose out of the back, and and Diego Rubio scores a, scores an equalizer on on pretty much his first touch out of the match, mm-hmm. having just come on, and you know they're. They're going into Kansas City. Kansas City's home record this season hasn't been as good as it has been in years past. But you never want to, you never want to pass up a chance to to make the most of your home game. And you know the fact that they'll be without Rusnak in in the second leg as well just adds another little factor that you know sort of seems like like the tide is turning against them. But that said, you know this is a team that people have counted out so many times over this season that you never know what's going to happen down down in KC. And the final MLS playoff matchup going on right now is the all-Cascadia battle between the Portland Timbers and the Seattle Sounders. Um, you know, a game definitely not without controversy and a bunch of injuries as well. It was basically what you would expect when these two sides uh, meet in the playoffs, considering how much of a rivalry they've had. Um, this is just one of those playoff matchups for me that uh, when I looked at the schedule coming out, I was just so excited because anytime you can see uh, straight-up rivals battle in the playoffs, like you said, the intense gets ratcheted up to another degree and it's just been you know exciting so far yeah it's always a little bit funny in, in this league you know mls loves to sort of hype up the rivalries and there's always that risk that you know if you play your rivals three times in, in a regular season is it really going to feel any different when you meet them in the playoffs and you know i think judging by the first leg it's it still clearly matters nobody is tired of seeing too many of these games and Everyone is just, it's always sort of must-see TV, even if they're not always the uh, the most stunning games. And, and in terms of a first half in a playoff game where, you know, sides are sort of, have a tendency to feel each other out and play a little cautious, this first half was just ridiculous, you know. Seattle's Rui Diaz just continues his red-hot form. I think uh, lifting a stat from the broadcast, this was his 11th goal in 15 matches for the Sounders, which is just... 
I don't think you could ask for anything more from a from a sort of midseason acquisition in terms of lighting a fire under a team at a very important part of the year and the the movement that he showed on that goal just sort of recognizing that that the ball was ready to come in and he get in front of his marker was just absolutely clinical and having a player like that in these matches where where goals are are so crucial to deciding who wins matches just as they always are to be fair but having a guy like that at this time of year is just is just such a huge thing for a team especially a Seattle team that isn't that far removed from winning an MLS cup without getting a shot on goal <laughs> you know heading into the second leg i think word is that Chad Marshall's going to miss out he had some some knee surgery this week and looks like he's going to be unavailable for the second leg which is always a massive loss his his presence at the back and his just sort of his ability to, to basically remove the aerial ball as a threat just adds so much to Seattle's back line. And, you know, when you're dealing with a guy like Diego Valeri, who just turns it up to another degree with uh, when these playoff matches come around is, is uh, you know, Portland was able to make the most of being at home and they're going into Seattle, a place that, uh, you know, Seattle tends to, to like to protect. But you never want to lose a, a key defender heading into a match like this and, you know, I'd, 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 it's so hard to call in all these games sort of who's going to go up on top because there's so many things that can go into the next 90, 90 plus minutes that'll end up being decisive. Yeah, I don't think I'd ever ask anyone to make predictions for the MLS Cup playoffs because <laughs> they are some of the most unpredictable soccer um, across the world. Anything with MLS involved is is incredibly unpredictable, as we saw, um, you know, very clearly with Toronto FC being the record-breaking team and then missing the playoffs the next season. That's just one of many examples. But the playoffs, especially this time of year, um, it's, it's really hard to predict them, and, and this year has been no different. Uh, before we finish up with MLS, of course, it is award season. Um, I would assume you you had a ballot for the MLS awards this year um if I did I did not submit oh, there you go um well, <laughs> well at any rate uh the the MLS MVP uh is is of course coming up uh the Landon Donovan award and uh the five nominees uh Miguel Almaron and Josef Martinez of Atlanta United uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic of LA Galaxy Wayne Rooney of DC United and Carlos Vea of LAFC um, some crazy names there if you think about kind of the context of world soccer but uh, who for you was the the MLS MVP this year um, I, I think I think there's you know there's there's some very interesting names in there because a, a lot of goals were scored this year and uh, a lot of players had some incredible seasons uh, in MLS well if I had a ballot and or had filled out the ballot <laughs> check your junk mail full <laughs> Always, man. Always. I think uh, I think I would have had to go with Martinez, mm-hmm. but you know, this we sort of get into into this conversation every sort of year. Like, what does valuable mean? I don't really quite know, and maybe that ambigu- ambiguity is sort of what they're looking for in this. They want to have the debate. They want to have different opinions. You know, it's a little bit tough to have two guys that only joined mid-season sort of be in the running for for MVP and in, in Slatan and Rooney, but it would be hard to say that either one of them did not have an impact on their team worthy of this sort of recognition. But for me, you know, it's hard to look past Martinez. He sets a goal scoring record. Where would Atlanta be without his sort of prowess in front of net? True. You know, maybe there's a possibility that him and Almiron sort of end up splitting votes and somebody comes up the middle, but I think you'd be, uh, you'd be pretty hard hearted if you didn't recognize the season this player's had. 
Yeah, I don't want to get into the the semantics too much of the MLS uh, or of the most valuable debate because um, I'm pretty tired of hearing the, you know, Connor McDavid, should he have been MVP if if his team didn't make the playoffs? Maybe he could make the same case for Zlatan as well. But um, yeah, that's that's something that um, I don't think matters all that much. And as you said, Josep Martinez, just a fantastic season for Atlanta, a record-breaking season. So um, you know, there's a lot of good players to pick from, and uh, obviously the caliber of MLS player continues to rise each year. Um, speaking of rising, the Phoenix rising. Oh, what a transition there! Um, well done. <laughs> I probably probably ruined it by complimenting myself, but at any rate, no, no, I was it was deserved. All right, all right, <laughs> thank you. Um, the the USL <laughs> final, of course, is is tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Louisville City taking on Phoenix Rising. Um, you're someone who's watched at least a fair amount of USL this season. Um, what do you make of this final? And and as as we were talking about before, some some wild playoffs this year in in USL. Yeah, you know it's it's going to be a good match. This could be the final game of DDA Drogba's legendary career, and he lifted yet another trophy with the Western Conference Championships after the last round and. So it's always good to see DDA take center stage. And, and in Louisville, you have, uh, you know, sort of the defending champs. Granted, a lot of people would have expected FC Cincinnati to be up there with the sort of season they put together. But I think New York Red Bulls, too, were able to knock them knock them out. And anytime there's a cup on the line, these matches are always a lot of fun to keep an eye on. They could could get a little bit wild. Both teams are, are known for, for their ability to put the ball in the back of the net. But uh, on these nights, there's sort of always that tendency to play a little cautious as I was saying about the MLS playoffs nobody wants to nobody wants to fall behind or make that mistake and and uh, sort of put themselves behind the eight ball but it, it should be an intense match and you know 8 p.m. for viewers in Canada will be on YouTube and it'll be a nice little warm-up to our, our first bit of MLS Cup playoff action tonight. Like James said, uh, the most important game of DDA Drogba's career. So make sure to, <laughs> he definitely didn't say that, but make sure to, to tune in. That should be a, a great match. Um, you know, USL is another league that, that has been continuing to rise each season. I think I, I've seen some, some top games from USL this year. So it's, you know, the, especially these top clubs like Phoenix and Louisville who invest uh, a little bit more and or less so the development clubs they have some some very good players and uh, so it should be a great match and uh, as we said 8 p.m tune in um, let's move on to Toronto FC who obviously uh, don't have any playoff matches uh, coming up it's been very odd watching the the playoffs without Toronto FC but um, it seems like the silly season is is well and truly um, underway with Toronto FC there are rumors coming out of Brazil that Toronto FC are considering the acquisition of a 20 year old keeper um, named Lucas Paisusa on loan um, from Sao Paulo which is evidently the club that Auro Jr. came from so um, I actually wouldn't mind if Toronto FC had some kind of some kind of uh, you know good connections with a with a club in Brazil because that's obviously where the league is going a little bit in terms of bringing in these young South American talents but um, whether or not this is true James the goalkeeping position is definitely an interesting one to watch over over kind of this uh, this winter window as the club kind of assesses where things went wrong last season. Obviously, Alex Bono, um, incredibly highly rated coming into the year, had a tough, tough season. He'll admit that himself. Uh, wasn't himself, but... Um, you know, I think it will be interesting to see whether Toronto FC bring in maybe more of an insurance policy or or bring in someone young like this, like this rumored Brazilian keeper, just to kind of keep Alex Bono on his toes next year and uh, 
and you know maybe push him to uh to get to that next level that we all know he can reach with with the talent that he has yeah you know we've we're a couple of weeks uh removed from sort of it becoming clear that toronto wouldn't be involved in the playoffs but you know as i've been watching these matches i've still sort of been shaking my head trying to figure out what's going on i'm still combing through the the 10 hours of audio that I collected from the team. <laughs> One of the questions I've sort of been asking myself, and, and we got a bit of a sense of this in the in the end of season pressers, was how much does this team want to change and, and where are those places on the roster where they think they can either free up some money and so that they can reinforce in other positions or positions themselves where they sort of want to, to have better options than they might have had in the past. And you know, it's hard to not look at Clint Irwin, a guy who, who didn't feature as much this season as he definitely would have liked to, and not see his salary as being somewhere where you think maybe you could save a little bit of money, you know. My uh, my sort of initial thought on that is that I don't know how much saving $50,000, $100,000 or something like that by bringing in a true backup keeper can really allow you to, to improve any position significantly enough that it would be worth the risk of let's say Alex Bono gets injured and all of a sudden your backup keeper becomes your number one for, for two months, three months, four months, you know? Uh, one of the things we've sort of learned about Vanny over the years of covering him is how much he loves having options. It's it's something that he talks about repeatedly. And when it comes to the goalkeeper, he particularly likes having this sort of system of where it's a 1A, 1B situation rather than a clear one and a clear two. And so if you're bringing in a 20-year-old Brazilian, I, I tried my best to try and find some clips of him or, or to find out a little bit about him, but he's he's pretty much an unknown as far as I can tell. Bringing in a, a player like that to, to be a true backup, a guy that might actually be seeing significant minutes, is a bit of a gamble. And I'm not sure that that's really where this team sees themselves at the moment. As much as they're disappointed by not making the playoffs, as much as they were disappointed by by falling at the last hurdle in the Champions League, I'm not sure this is a, a risk that you can really take right now. That said, as you mentioned, you know, having these these links down to Brazil, Sao Paulo, the same club that Aro came from, is only good for the future of the league. So, you know, part of me wonders if this isn't even maybe a, a TFC three, TFC two situation where they're bringing this guy in to sort of have him around the club, not really count on the first team's books, and just get a really good look at him up close. It's entirely possible that that's part of it too, but. You know, we're sort of getting into that silly season, and uh, I'll believe the rumors when uh, when I get an email from the club telling me what's going on. You know? Yeah, fair enough. Uh, you know, it's always it's always hard to to decipher which uh, which of the rumors are you know the accuracy of them. I would have thought the the Gregory Vanderveel rumors last year, the way they uh, initially were initially reported and everything, I would have thought they were ridiculous, and they turned out to be. Um, you know, true, and there's there's other ones that seem to be very close to happening, and that they don't come together at all. So you know, keep your <laughs> keep your eyes out for official press releases this time of year um, when it relates to Toronto FC. The other bit of news on Toronto FC is obviously we're heading into the international window, and that means some call ups, three call ups for Toronto FC. Um, Marky Delgado getting back with the U.S. Men's National Team and Jay Chapman and Liam Frazier joining Canada, which was announced today. 
Um, for Marky Delgado, it's been a, you know, it hasn't been a banner season for him. I know um, certainly from what I've heard within the stands of Toronto FC, he's one of those players that um, they aren't too thrilled with. Um, but he, he's a player that continues to be rated highly both with the club and internationally. And, and I think it is good to continue to see him brought into that young core of U.S. men's national team players because um, I'm someone who uh, definitely... Um, definitely considers him to be one of the players of the future with Toronto FC and a player that um, even if he didn't perform very well this season is is one of those players that I think Toronto FC needs to continue to build around going forward. Yeah, I feel like Marky's one of those players that, um, you know, when he's on, you don't really quite, what he does doesn't really quite grab the eye. You know, he, he's not one of those players that's, you know, going to score a screamer from 30 yards. He's not one of those guys who's going to, you know, glide past somebody with silky skills. He's he's more of he's more of a, a metronome. He's more of a guy that that helps everyone around him by setting the pace and by playing quickly and that by by playing intelligently. And that's the sort of thing that doesn't really grab the headlines all that often. Where that goes wrong and can go wrong for a guy like Marky, as it did at times this year, is that in that position, if you're turning the ball over too easily, if you're if you're misplaying passes, you can look very bad. And so the sort of risk reward for a player like Marky in that spot on the field can be can be a little bit misleading when you're trying to sort of assess how well he's doing or, you know, how important he is to the team. I think sometimes we forget how young these guys are. Like Marky's only 23. He's, he's been a professional for all, you know, six or seven years now, which is just absolutely remarkable. And to see him get back in the national team after a, a less than um, after a season with TFC that I think he himself would say that wasn't his best is uh, is only good uh, in terms of what, why Bradley is not there. You know, this was uh, this was something that I'm sure a lot of people will will take note of. But it, it strikes me as this is a little bit of a strange roster from the U.S. side. I, I can't quite figure out why they called in so many guys that are still involved in the MLS playoffs. It looks like they've gone back to being a younger squad. There's Still no Josie, of course, he's out injured. Mm-hmm. And Brad Guzan is the only player that's over 30, and he himself is playing in the playoffs. So, you know, matches against Italy, uh, sort of friendly-ish Wayne Rooney testimonial against England. <laughs> uh, you know, and Bradley's a guy that uh, he would never tell us if he was injured, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if he's in a spot where he needs a bit of a rest right now. So. It's uh, it's a bit of a head scratcher, but I mean, uh, that's why they haven't contacted me about being the U.S. men's national team coach yet. <laughs> you know, to see Jay Jay Chapman and Liam Fraser back in in with uh, Canada as they head down to St. Kitts and Nevis for their next uh, Nations League match is is interesting. I'm not quite sure why, you know, Ashton Morgan or Toussaint Ricketts weren't involved. You know, whether they're carrying Knox after a long season with TFC. We saw Jonathan Osorio ended up having sports hernia surgery, even though none of us knew that he was injured. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the sort of thing that in, you can always sort of guess and you can sort of look behind the scenes and try and figure out if guys are carrying something. But unless they tell us, we can't really go too far beyond speculation, you know? Yeah, for sure. And uh, maybe a good performance with Waking the Red FC at the Christian Jack Tar- Charity Tournament will uh, will get the eyes of the U.S. men's national team on you for, for the next coach. Uh, they're, they're still searching, so um, we'll, we'll see. But, um, you know, a, a bit of an ugly end to the season for Toronto FC, but uh, it can always be uglier. And that's certainly the case in Vancouver right now, where um, obviously their end-of-season press conferences ended with some incredible 
verbal war of words between the players. Uh, there's there seems to be a, a wild wild amount of division over there right now, and um, they've brought in a guy to hopefully you know steady the ship a little bit. And Mark DeSantos uh, for me an exciting hire, uh, Canadian obviously, and he's got a great resume and track record of success. He's he's coached the Montreal Impact back in their USL one days. Uh, Palmeiras, uh, which is a youth or well, a club in Brazil, he coached their youth team, uh, the Ottawa Fury. He won the last ever NASL championship with the San Francisco Deltas um, and most recently was an assistant coach for Bob Bradley with LAFC. Um, what do you make of this hire? Because, uh, again, for me, I think it's, you know, it's I'm always happy when Canadian coaches um, get, you know, get elevated to positions like this. And um, this is a Canadian coach that obviously for, for a long time has been doing a lot of good things um, within the North American soccer scene. Uh, that end of CD, uh, the end of season press conferences out of Vancouver were just absolutely ludicrous. <laughs> they were, they were some of the most ridiculous, unprecedented, wild things I've ever seen sort of come out. Just players sniping at each other, sort of back talk. Oh, it was it was glorious. It was uh, it was unbelievable. <laughs> and so there is definitely some serious work to be done in the off season for Vancouver and. You know, Mark DeSantos is a guy who's been on the radar for a long time. And as you listed his resume there, it's it's clear that he's somebody who's really put in the work and really studied the game. And it's sort of exactly what Vancouver needs to, to enter this sort of rebuild that they're doing. He's a guy that's played, that's seen every level of soccer in North America, has, has that experience down in, in Brazil that you mentioned. And, you know, I think our colleague Dwayne Rollins sort of said this on Twitter. Mark is a guy that, that has excelled at really squeezing the most out of what he has at his disposal, mm-hmm. whether that be with the Fury, whether that be with San Francisco, whether that be, you know, uh, with Swope Park Rangers. And, you know, the fact that he spent the last year with LAFC, a team that really sort of came to MLS and, and did a lot of things right in their inaugural season, can only bode well for his sort of, uh, you know, debut coaching season. I'm sure he learned a lot about the intricacies of the league if if he wasn't aware of them already. And, you know, Vancouver got themselves a really good one. I I had a lot of time for Carl Robinson. I'm not exactly close enough to Vancouver to know exactly what was going on behind the scenes there. It seems like there there were some pretty significant problems that need to be dealt with. And, uh, you know, it'll it'll definitely make uh, next year's matches against Vancouver – a lot more interesting yeah it did seem like a lot of those problems uh, in Vancouver did result from the firing of Carl Robinson so uh, an interesting one there but obviously Mark DeSantos has uh, a, a lot of work ahead of him if he wants to clean up this team but one of the things I I very much do appreciate about Mark DeSantos and, and one of the things we've seen in a lot of his stations uh, even most recently with LAFC bringing in guys like Quillen Roberts and, and Mark Anthony Kay and Dan Yakovich is uh, his ability to you know uh, um, implement Canadian players and especially young Canadian players and this is something that I see as important for the Vancouver Whitecaps as as they transition into this next uh, uh, this next season and beyond as a club because uh, for me and I don't maybe follow prospects uh, to the same level you do um, Vancouver has probably the most exciting Canadian academy right now in terms of having young guys like Simon Collin, who we saw replace Alfonso Davies, obviously, in the final game of the season and almost score a chip with his first touch. Uh, David Norman Jr., who's over playing right now uh, in the Scottish Championship. Uh, Theo Bear and Michael Baldissimo and Noah Verhoeven, who we've seen uh, feature for the Canadian U20 side. So there's a lot of guys there 
kind of around the periphery of the first team um, that potentially could use some playing time. That was maybe one of the bigger criticisms of Carl Robinson, fairly or unfairly, during his time as, as Whitecaps manager was that he didn't necessarily focus all that much on Canadian players, and and uh, you know a lot of Canadian players didn't necessarily break through with his team. Obviously, they have to earn it, but nonetheless, he he sometimes um, kept them a little lower down in his roster. So this is a guy who's has a proven track record of of you know giving Canadians an opportunity to thrive, and as you said, um, squeezing a lot of, out of some some Canadian players in his time. Yeah, let's just back up and recognize that Theo Bear's full name is Thelonious, which I think is absolutely amazing. Yeah, every time I hear that Um, announced in in stadium, I'm like, this is the greatest thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, He should really go by that. Um, As you said, Vancouver's got a lot of prospects in, in store. And, you know, this isn't just a Vancouver problem in terms of getting guys from from being prospects to actually stepping into the first team you know Alfonso is a, is a different case but you know both Vancouver and Montreal decided to to stop fielding USL teams last season mm-hmm. and Toronto is deciding to move down to division three or, or league one as it'll be known and sort of making that jump from from high level youth soccer into the professional game is just it's not easy and, and as MLS gets better and better every year the room for players to grow at that level just becomes that much more difficult. I think it's particularly noteworthy that, but as you said, David Norman is out on loan. You know, Noah Verhoeven has been playing in USL with Fresno. And so I think the question will become, do these opportunities present themselves and can the players make the most of them when they do get them? And, you know, DeSantos is a guy that, that believes firmly in the Canadian player. We saw that with San Francisco, where it was very much a, uh, a Canadian-based side. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even even if you look at sort of the career of a guy like Russell Tybert, who, who's been with Vancouver since the beginning, if I'm not mistaken, he's a guy that really, really had to put in his work and really develop himself into a more well-rounded player and and work hard just to get the chances. And, and I think between between Vancouver and, and the national team, we've seen Tybert really sort of step to the fore. And so, you know, the combination of, you know, if there's a clearing of house, does Tybert sort of become a more a more central and more vocal character that, to the team and DeSantos sort of being willing to give these younger guys a chance and, and the front office sort of seeing what can happen if you, if you have a talent that sort of explodes onto the scene like Davies, it'll... It'll definitely be interesting to see what happens out there. Yeah, for sure. And uh, speaking of young Canadian players, let's talk quickly about the Canadian under-20 team. Um, Another bit of a a disappointing loss for them against Panama, which kind of looks like it's ended the World Cup campaign at at kind of the first hurdle, unfortunately. A 2-1 loss. They spent most of that game uh, down to 10 men after uh, Baldissimo was ejected early on. You know, it kind of felt like more of the same for Canada at this level. Um, They played fairly well, but, um, you know, a couple of circumstances, uh, some difficult refereeing, um, and, and obviously not being able to to get the job done uh, kind of has them in a tough situation. Obviously they haven't qualified for a U 20 world cup since Canada hosted it in 2007. Um, and I've continued to waste more hours of my life watching uh, time wasting in CONCACAF They're uh, They're playing another match uh, kind of as we speak, but um, you know, that, 
it, it was kind of disappointing considering, um, I guess, how much momentum has been built up uh, right now in Canadian soccer to to not see them at least reach that final round of qualifying. Obviously, it's not done yet, but um, you know, it, it looks very much unless Panama really, really blows it in these next couple of games. Yeah, it's not over yet, but I mean, CONCACAF, you know, if, if Canada didn't have bad luck in CONCACAF, they'd have no luck at all. <laughs> you could sort of see it on the players' faces after the match. They were all slumped to the ground, and I think everybody knew this was going to be sort of the decisive game. As you said, there's always the chance that, that one of the smaller nations manages to upset Panama, and all Canada can really do is continue to go out there and, and sort of fill the back of the net and hope for the best. And I feel particularly bad for this group because it was at the U-17 championship last year that uh, a red card to Rocco Romeo, mm-hmm. uh, Romeo in, in their first match against Costa Rica was sort of the death knell of that tournament for them. And it was uh, it was a strange game. It was a, it was a terrible tackle. That, that has to be said. I don't think you can look too unkindly towards the referee for deciding that was a red card, but there had been a lot of bad tackles up to that point. There had been a lot of chances for him to sort of settle the game down, and Valdissimo sort of sort of lunges in and catches the player on the heel, and I mean on the ankle, and he may have felt aggrieved. Somebody went through the back of him about five ten minutes later. But if there's one thing we know about playing in Concacaf is, uh, you know, you sort of have to be on your best behavior. You can't you can't give the referee a chance to make a decision like that. And, you know, it's it's not looking good after the match. It, it seemed like he, he went on the pitch and confronted the referee, so that may spell the end of his tournament. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a tough one, but, I mean, we, we saw a lot of good from Canada. They, they didn't quite look as sharp as you may have wanted them to. That's always a little bit difficult when you get a, a bunch of guys in in, in varying, varying degrees of sort of sharpness and fitness and, and trying to meld them into a cohesive unit. But, you know, it's... Uh, it's one of those ones where you kind of have to wonder what would have happened if this Panama game had been the fifth of the five games instead of the third. If they had had those couple extra matches to sort of get themselves together and and uh, you know figure out figure out the best way to go about things. But uh, it's heartbreaking. But that's uh, that's a good lesson of what Concacaf brings if you're not at your best. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird format too. I wonder if we maybe see some changes in that regard over the next couple of years uh, with this new kind of revamped format with a with a bunch of games for for some of these teams and evidently outside of the international window as well which uh, caused Canada some problems in terms of calling up some of their better players for this tournament I know Liam Miller wanted to come but uh, Liverpool said no um so that's that's one of the names that Canada could have had but didn't for this tournament but um on the positive side of things we have seen some good standout performances uh, I think actually before he got that red card uh Baldissimo had a fantastic tournament but probably the best player for Canada so far has been Noble Akello. He's still very raw. He's still a player that uh, needs to pick his passes out better, but we've seen three goals from him, including the one against Panama, which just, was just a, a fantastic goal. And um, obviously we've seen him play a lot this year with players well above his age group, but now playing, you know, whenever I've seen him play with players uh, close to his own age, he dominates physically. Um, he, he's such a good player at recovering the ball in, in the midfield and uh, seeing some of that offensive side uh, turn out in this tournament as well. Uh, I've been very impressed with what I've seen from Noble so far. Yeah, that was the thing that stuck out to me the most was, you know, when he plays with TFC too, he's very much that deep line holding midfielder and we rarely see him get forward and just the offensive explosion that he's been able to show at this tournament has been absolutely remarkable. That goal against Panama, as you said, was just absolutely stunning. 
And uh, it, it's always interesting to see how a player does sort of against his age group versus against against professionals. And, you know, one of the things that I'm sort of curious about when it comes to Noble's further development is, is something that TFC seems to do with their young players. It's something they've done with Jordan Hamilton. It's something they've tasked Sean Hundle with as well as they really want these guys to work on the defensive sides of the game, the less the less glamorous parts of the game that are, you know, the things that really make you a solid professional and a good teammate. And they almost are willing to sacrifice the more natural gifts that a player has at this development stage in order to make sure that those, you know, those T's are crossed and those I's are dotted when it comes to the well-rounded nature of the player. And, you know, to see Noble sort of unshackled in these three matches has been a lot of good. It's uh it's definitely sort of added another layer to, to my assessment of the player. And he's, he's not the only one that sort of caught the eye at this tournament. Yeah, for sure. Uh, who, who are some of those other players that you've been uh, impressed with at, at this competition? Because uh, as we've said, probably Canada going to go out in the first round, but after all this, this is a development tournament. And I, I think we've seen over the years, uh, a lot of Canadian players, um, come through and, and have good careers you know this isn't the end of this isn't the end of them if they have a poor performance at the under 20 uh, tournament it's still a good experience for a lot of these players and uh, obviously senior team is is what matters more so uh, who's kind of been standing out for you well I'll leave the TFC two players aside because they're guys that I see a little bit more often mm-hmm. we can talk about some of them uh, but I think you know, a couple of names that have really stood out to me was, as you said, Baldissimo looked really, really good before his red card. He's a, he's a guy that really sort of caught the eye in terms of his ability to control the pace of the game and sort of settle things down in the middle. Adonijah Reed is a guy that I really quite like. He's just very energetic and dangerous up his side of the pitch, very physical for a small guy. And, you know, I, I've been quite impressed with Verhoen too. I think he's just a, a hardworking, solid forward and uh you know, those are the sort of guys that, that you definitely need in your team, and, and he's not afraid of being offensive, too. And, but I think the guy that, that's most caught my eye, and we haven't quite seen as much of him as I, I really would have liked, is Matthew Schwanier uh, from the Montreal Impact. Mm-hmm. He's uh, I spoke to Herdman about a month ago. about uh, I was trying to pick his brain about one of the things that he said after, after the youth revolution that we saw at BMO Field when the national team was there was that you know, this was just the beginning of, of waves of players that he saw coming through the program. And I sort of wanted to get him to to pick out a couple of those guys that are, are sort of on his radar, that he's he's looking forward to them coming up to the professional level. And, you know, for the most part, coaches, uh, especially national team coaches, can be very reticent to sort of name names when you're trying to dig behind the scenes. They don't want to put too much pressure on these guys. They don't want to sort of uh, draw attention where, where it's not time for the attention to be yet. But he pointed out Matthew Schwanier as somebody that, that he was really excited to get into the national team fold mm. and somebody that he was really excited to see him playing more and more minutes. And, you know, I just happened to catch a tweet from uh, from a journalist in Montreal who, who said that Bakari Sanya, one of the things that he discovered while he was in Montreal was the quality of Schwanier. So hmm. it's just, uh, it's, it's another one of those players that, you know, as we were talking about with with Vancouver, it's where are they going to get those chances to sort of step up to the first team? Is Montreal going to give them the chance to really get the minutes that they need to to further develop themselves? And what's what's really impressed me about him in midfield is sort of he has that sort of um, I don't know if imperious is quite the the word that I want to use, but there's something just 
there's so much confidence in him on the ball and there's so much technical ability and it's just effortless and it's smooth and he's dangerous and on the edge of the box. And those are, there are some players that just sort of, this is going to sound very unscientific of me, but there's some players who just, when you, when you watch them, you see how, how almost in a way graceful they're, they are mm-hmm. about going about the game. And, and he's one that sort of caught my eye in this tournament. Well, speaking of potential future, Canadian men's national team players. Let's talk about maybe some former Canadian men's national team players who have popped up in a new place uh, over the past couple of weeks with a new soccer team, the Mississauga Metro Stars of the MASL. It's an arena soccer league expansion side. Um, they're they're underway with their first ever training camp, and um, you know you you obviously were there, James. Uh, did it feel a little bit like you hopped in uh, some kind of time machine uh, to to an old day at the the BMO training ground, uh, which was then the Kia training ground, um, because, you know, they have guys like Dwayne DiRosario, um, Anthony Osorio, although obviously he'll miss most of the season with uh, with an injury, um, but Adrian Can as well, and uh, now Mo Babuli signing as well. So uh, a lot of old uh, old Toronto FC players popping up there and uh, s- some exciting names within the Canadian soccer community as this team tries to um, kind of break in a, in a new and uh, kind of unique sport that we haven't seen uh, a lot of um, in these parts. Yeah, it was very interesting. You know, both uh, both Dero and Adrian Can uh, haven't seemed to have aged a day since I last saw them, and and Mobile was looking very sharp out there. He was he was this. You know, this is it's not exactly a form of the game that I'm particularly familiar with. I have to admit, apparently there's something called a blue card that I had to be informed <laughs> of, which is uh, you spend two minutes in the penalty box and your team is down a man. So. That's something new to keep an eye out for. But Mo looked extremely sharp. It's the first time I've seen him play in a long time. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where the more soccer, the better. That's always sort of my view on these on these uh, sort of projects. And the general vibe I got was that everyone was really excited for, for there to be another venue to sort of feed the beautiful game, both to both to players who need a, another chance to develop and, and for fans who are just sort of hungry for for the sort of excitement that comes with these matches, the uh, the brief bit of practice that we got to see, it's a very fast-paced game. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of movement going on. Uh, there's a lot of it's, it's very different. You're not sometimes sometimes in, a, in an outdoor match, the whole ninety minutes, it it has to be a patient game. Yeah. You know, like you have to you have to wait and pick your spots. And this was just there were elements of patience, but it was also a lot more blood and thunder than you'd necessarily see when guys have to sprint 150 yards or whatever get from one end to the other and you know we saw adrian can sort of sneak up into the attack a little bit we know d rose sort of flexing his coaching muscles he'll be an assistant coach alongside uh phil ionati who's who's the main coach of the head of the of the team and you know in addition to to being a professional outfit that's going to provide some careers for some guys they're also really looking to help develop the canadian player and these sort of close quarter skills is something we always hear about with Brazil is how important futsal is into the technical development mm. of players. And so, you know, another another fun little thing on the agenda. I'm hoping to make it up to a couple of games and uh, it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I played something similar uh, throughout school uh, with, with our intramural soccer teams at Ryerson. And it's an incredibly fun game to play. Like you said, fast paced. There's, there's rarely moments where, you know, there, there's patience. It's a lot of... Uh, 
build up and I'd imagine uh not 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 watching us that probably wasn't very much fun but watching players like Dwayne Rosario and Adrian can uh, play this kind of uh, soccer will be a whole lot of fun so um definitely if if you're in that area it could be something interesting and new to check out in the Canadian soccer landscape um but I think we'll we'll wrap things up there for this week's podcast uh, James a pleasure as always to have you on Oh, man, thank you very much. I was always wondering where those Waking the Red FC skills were coming from, man. Now I know you're a, you're an indoor guy. Yeah, yeah we've, been, we've been training this season, uh, hoping to put in a good performance. Uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah, very much looking forward to that tournament and uh, looking forward to uh, the, the much more important uh, MLS Cup playoffs as they continue to, to develop. Uh, we'll be tracking them on the pod going forward. And uh, for more European news, of course, you can always head over to the La Liga show, which is also on this network. Um, I've been Mitchell Tierney. This is the Footy Talks podcast, and thank you so much for listening.